Section 3 of On the Nature of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linny. On the Nature of Things by Lucretius. Translated by John Selby Watson. Section 3. Book 1, Part 3. And now, let us also examine the homoeomeria of Anaxagoras, as the Greeks call it. Nor does the poverty of our native tongue, indeed, allow us to name it in our own language. But it is easy, however, to explain in words the thing itself, which, as the origin of things, he calls homoeomeria. He thinks, that is to say, that bones are produced from small and minute bones, so likewise that flesh is generated from small and minute particles of flesh, and that blood is formed from many drops of blood meeting together. He is of opinion, moreover, that gold may consist of crumbs of gold, and that earth may be a concrete of little earths, that fire may be from fires, and moisture from moistures. Other things he imagines and supposes to be produced in a similar way. Yet he does not allow that there is anywhere a void in things, or that there is any limit to the division of bodies. Wherefore, in both these respects he seems to me to err equally with those of whom we have before spoken. Add to this that he supposes principles which are too frail, if indeed they are principles which are made to be endowed with, like nature as the things themselves that are produced from them, and equally suffer and decay, nor does anything withhold them from destruction. For what portion of them will endure under violent oppression so as to escape dissolution under the very teeth of death? Will it be fire, or moisture, or air? Which of these? Or will it be blood or bone? Not one of all those substances, as I conceive, since everything universally will be equally perishable as those things which we see manifestly perish from before our eyes when overcome by any violence. But I call to witness the positions which I have before proved, that neither can things be reduced to nothing, nor again grow up from nothing. Moreover, since food augments and nourishes the body, we may understand that veins and blood and bones and nerves consist of heterogeneous parts. Or if these philosophers shall say that all food is of a mixed substance and contains in itself small elements of nerves and bones, and also veins and particles of blood, it will follow that both all solid food and liquid itself must be thought to consist of such heterogeneous matters, and to be mixed up of bones and nerves and veins and blood. Besides, if whatever bodies grow from the earth are previously latent in the earth, earth must consist of all those heterogeneous matters which spring from earth. Transfer this reasoning to other objects, and you may likewise use the same phraseology. In wood, for instance, if there is concealed flame and smoke and ashes, wood must necessarily consist of the heterogeneous particles of those substances. Here some slight opportunity is left to this sect of philosophers for eluding the arguments of their adversaries, an opportunity of which Anaxagoras avails himself, by alleging that, although he thinks all things lie secretly mixed with all things, yet that that alone appears on the surface of each, of which there are most particles mixed in the composition of each, and placed more, as it were, in readiness than in front, which, however, 
is far removed from just reasoning. For, if this hypothesis were correct, it might naturally be expected also that corn, when it is broken by the overwhelming force of the millstone, would exhibit some token of blood or something of those substances which are nourished in our bodies, that when we rub stone against stone, blood should flow. In like manner, also, it would be probable that herbs would send forth drops of a sweet liquid, and a similar taste, such as are the drops of milk, that issue from the udder of the sheep. And, without doubt, we might also suppose that frequently, when clods of earth are broken, rudiments of the several kinds of herbs and corn and leaves of trees would appear, scattered about, and be proved to lie hid in the earth, in minute particles. Moreover, that in wood, when it is broken, ashes and smoke and small particles of fire would be found to lie concealed. Of which occurrences, since manifest experience shows that none take place, we may understand that substances are not so mixed with substances. But, if Anaxagoras were right, the common seeds of many things must lie secretly mixed, in many ways, among other things. But, you will say, it often happens that, on the high mountains, the extreme tops of tall trees, when near to one another, are rubbed together, the strong south winds compelling them to act thus, until they shine with a flash of flame bursting forth. It is so, and yet the fire is not inherent in the wood, but there are in it many seeds of heat, which, when they have become confluent by friction, produce a conflagration in the woods. But if positive flame were hidden in the woods, the fire could not be concealed for any length of time, but would openly consume the forests and burn up the groves. Do you now see, therefore, what we remarked a little before? that it is frequently of great consequence with what other elements, and in what position the same elements are combined, and what motions they reciprocally impart and receive, and that the same elements, a little altered, in respect to each other, produce fire from wood, ignis e lignis, just as also the words themselves consist of elements or letters, a little changed, when we denote wood and fire, ligna atque ignis, by distinct appellations. Finally, if you think that whatever things you see in the visible world could not be conceived to have been formed without supposing the primary particles of matter to be endowed with a nature similar to the things formed from them, your original elements of things, by this hypothesis, become mere absurdities and fall to the ground. For the consequence of such a supposition will be that you must have primary particles which, as the origin of laughter, are themselves convulsed with tremulous fits of laughter, and others which, as the originals of weeping, bedew their own faces and cheeks with salt tears. And now give me your attention as to what remains. Learn and hear more fully and plainly. Nor does it escape my knowledge how obscure these matters are, but the great hope of praise has struck my heart with her powerful thirsts, and has at the same time infused into my breast a pleasing love of the muses, with which, inspired, I now wander in vigorous thought over the trackless regions of the Pierides, trodden before by the foot of no poet. It delights me to approach the untasted fountains and to drink, and it transports me to pluck the fresh flowers and to obtain a distinguished chaplet for my head from those groves whence the muses have hitherto veiled the temples of no one. In the first place, 
because I give instruction concerning mighty subjects, and proceed to free the mind from the closely confining shackles of religion. In the next place, because I compose such lucid verses concerning so obscure a subject, touching everything with the grace of poetry, since such ornament also seems not unjustifiable or without reason. But as physicians, when they attempt to give bitter wormwood to children, first tinge the rim round the cup with the sweet and yellow liquid of honey, that the age of childhood, as yet unsuspicious, may find its lips deluded, and may in the meantime drink up the bitter juice of the wormwood, and, though deceived, may not be injured, but rather recruited by such a process, may acquire strength. So now I, since this argument seems generally too severe and forbidding to those by whom it has not been handled, and since the multitude shrink back from it, was desirous to set forth my chain of reasoning to thee, O Memmius, in sweetly speaking Pyarian verse, and, as it were, to tinge it with the honey of the muses, if, perchance, by such a method, I might detain thy attention upon my strains, until thou lookest through the whole nature of things, and understandest with what shape and beauty it is adorned. But since I have taught that atoms of matter entirely solid, pass to and fro perpetually, unwasted through all time, come now, and let us unravel whether there be any limit to their aggregate or not. Also, let us look into that which has been found to be vacancy, or the room and space in which things severally are done, and learn whether the whole is entirely limited, or extends unbounded and unfathomably profound. All that exists, therefore, I affirm, is bounded in no direction, for, if it were bounded, it must have some extremity. But it appears that there cannot be an extremity of anything, unless there be something beyond, which may limit it so that there may appear to be some line farther than which this faculty of our sense cannot extend. Now, since it must be confessed that there is nothing beyond the whole, the whole has no extremity, nor does it matter at what part of it you stand, with a view to being distant from its boundary. Inasmuch as whatever place any one occupies, he leaves the whole just as much boundless in every direction. Besides, if all space which is, be supposed to be bounded, and if any one should go forward as far as possible, even to what he thinks its extreme limits, and should throw, or attempt to throw, a flying dart, whether would you have that dart hurled with vigorous strength, go on in the direction in which it may have been propelled, and fly far forwards, or do you rather prefer to think that something would have power to hinder and stop it? For one of the two alternatives you must of necessity admit and adopt of which alternatives either cuts off escape from you, and compels you to grant that the whole extends without limit. Since, whether there is anything to stop the javelin, and to cause that it may not go on in the direction in which it was aimed, and fix itself at the destined termination of its flight, or whether it is borne onwards beyond the supposed limit, it evidently did not begin its flight from a boundary of the whole. In this manner, I will go on with you, and wheresoever you shall fix the extreme margin of space, I will ask you what then would be the case with the javelin. The case will be that a limit can nowhere exist, and that room for the flight of the javelin will still extend its flight. Further, if all the space of the entire whole were shut in 
and bounded on all sides by certain limits, the quantity of matter in the universe would before this time have flowed together to the bottom, by reason of its solid weight. Nor could anything be carried on beneath the canopy of heaven, nor indeed would there be a heaven at all, or light of the sun, for all matter, from sinking down for an infinite space of time, would be accumulated at the bottom of the whole. But now it is evident no rest is given to the atoms of the primary elements, because no part of the universe is completely and fundamentally lowest, whether the atoms might, as it were, flow together, and where they might fix their seat. And therefore, all things are always carried on in all parts in perpetual motion, and the lowest atoms of matter, or those which we may conceive to be the lowest, stirred up from the infinite of space, are supplied for the generation of things. Moreover, in things before our eyes, object seems to bound object. The air sets a boundary to the hills, and the hills to the air. The land limits the sea, and the sea, on the other hand, limits the entire land. But, as to the whole, there is nothing beyond it that can bound it. The nature, therefore, of space, in the extent of the profound whole, is such a vast, which neither famous rivers in their course can run through, though flowing for an eternal length of time, nor, by passing on, can at all cause that less distance should remain for them to go. To such a degree, on every side, vast abundance of room lies open for all things, all limit being set aside everywhere and in every direction. Besides, nature herself prevents the whole of things from being able to provide bounds for itself, inasmuch as she compels body to be bounded by that which is vacant, and that which is vacant to be bounded by body. That so, by this alternate bounding of one by the other, she may render all infinite. Else, moreover, if one or other of these did not bound the other by its simple nature, so that one of them, the vacuum, for instance, should extend unlimited, neither the sea, nor the land, nor the bright temples of heaven, nor the race of mortals, nor the sacred persons of the gods, could subsist for the small space of an hour. For the body of matter, driven abroad from its union, would be borne dispersed through the mighty void, or rather, in such a case, never having been united, would never have produced anything, since, when originally scattered, it could not have been brought together. For certainly, neither the primary elements of things dispose themselves severally in their own order, by their own counsel or sagacious understanding, nor, assuredly, did they agree among themselves what motions each should produce. But, because being many, and changed in many ways, they are, for an infinite space of time, agitated, being acted upon by forces throughout the whole, they thus, by experiencing movements and combinations of every kind, at length settle into such positions, by which means this sum of things being produced exists. And this sum of things, when it was once thrown into suitable motions, being also maintained in that state through many long years, causes that the rivers recruit the greedy sea with large floods of water, and that the earth, cherished by the heat of the sun, renews its productions, also that the race of living creatures flourishes undecayed, and that the gliding fires of heaven live, which effects atoms could by no means produce, unless an abundant supply of matter could arise from the infinite of space, 
whence everything that is produced is accustomed to repair in time the parts lost. For, as the nature of animals, when deprived of food, wastes and decays, losing its substance, so must all things fall away, as soon as matter, turned by any means from its course, has failed to supply itself. Nor can impacts, as some may imagine, produced externally on all sides, keep together the entire whole, or whatever of matter has been combined into a whole. For, though some external impacts may strike frequently, and thus may sustain here and there a part, until others succeed, and the requisite number of impacts for securing any particular portion may be completed, yet, at times, the bodies producing the impacts are compelled to rebound, and at the same moment to give the primary atoms of things space and time for flight, so that they may be carried away free from the aggregate. It is necessary, therefore, for such compression by impact, that many atoms should again and again rise up into action from the surrounding parts. And besides, in order that the impacts may be given in sufficient numbers, an infinite quantity of matter is requisite on every side. And, in these matters, O Memmius, be very far from believing that which some say, namely, that all things tend to the centre of the whole, and that therefore the nature and substance of the world stand, without any percussions or pressures from without, and that the highest and lowest parts, as we call them, cannot be resolved or thrown back in any direction, because all things strive towards the middle. If, indeed, you do believe that anything, as the earth, according to them, can rest upon itself in the middle, and that those heavy bodies which are on the lower part of the earth all tend upwards or to the centre, and rest upon the earth, although placed in a reverse position to ourselves, like the shadows of things, which we every day see in the water with their lower parts uppermost. And in like manner they contend that the animals beneath us range about with their feet upwards, nor can fall back from the earth into the lower parts of heaven, more than our bodies can spontaneously fly off into the upper parts of heaven. That when they see the sun, we behold the stars of night, and that they share the times of heaven, the hours of light and darkness, alternately with us, and past nights corresponding in time to our days. But a vain delusion must have devised all these things for foolish men, mistaken in that they have embraced a wrong opinion at the commencement. For there can be no middle where vacuum and space are infinite, nor, even if there were a middle, would anything at all rest there more on that account than it would stay there for any other far different reason, since all mere place and space which we call empty must, whether through the centre or through what is not the centre, yield equally a passage to equal weights in whatsoever direction their motions tend. Nor is there any place at which, when bodies have arrived, they can make a stand in vacuo, having lost the force of weight. Nor again must that which is vacuum give support beneath anything, but must proceed to yield that passage through it which its nature requires. Things, therefore, cannot be held in combination under such a hypothesis, namely, that they are influenced by a tendency to the centre. This sect of philosophers are in error, moreover, inasmuch as they do not suppose that all particles tend to the centre, but only those of earth and water, as the liquid of the sea and the great floods from the mountains, and those which are contained, as it were, in earthy substances, but set forth, on the other hand, 
that the subtle air of heaven and warm fire are at the same time carried away from the center and that from this cause the whole sky twinkles around us with stars and the flame of the sun is fed throughout the blue expanse of heaven since all the heat fleeing from the center collects in those parts for the generations of men also they say are fed from the earth by food rising from the center nor could the extremities of the branches of the trees produce leaves if the earth did not gradually supply sustenance to each from the ground while they add that the heaven above covers all things round about lest the walls of the world being dissolved into their constituent atoms should suddenly fly like winged flames through the vast void and lest other things should follow in like manner lest moreover the regions of heaven containing the thunder should fall from above and the earth should hastily withdraw itself from under our feet and all human beings dissolving their bodies into their elements should pass away in the midst of the mingled ruin of things of earth and heaven through the deep inane so that in a moment of time no relic should exist of them except desert space and blind atoms for wheresoever you shall suppose atoms to be first absent from their proper place that part will be the gate of death to all things by that part the whole crowd of material elements will rush forth abroad these things if you shall understand led on by my humble effort for one proposition will appear plain from another dark night will not prevent your progress or hinder you from seeing clearly in the last depths of nature so effectually will truths kindle light for truths. End of section 3